0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Drill to Detail. And today I'm joined by Tristan Handy from Fishtown Analytics, who I got to know through the world of Looker, but then I found operates in the same sort of startup space that I work in, but in a slightly different way to the way I work. So Tristan, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody on the show and let us know kind of what you do and how you got here.
1: Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. I uh, My name is Tristan Handy, and I'm the founder and CEO of Fishtown Analytics. Um, I've I've been working the data for about a decade and a half now. And um, I guess I've, I've been focused on startups and data for I guess, I, I guess since about 2009. Um, I was the first analyst at Squarespace um, back when Squarespace was a tiny little company, um, helped them raise uh, their first big A round um, and then went on to be the executive uh, at, at two different startups. Um, most recently at RJ Metrics, I, I ran the marketing team and um, we, we kind of participated in this real uh, fascinating development of the BI tech stack over the past five years and so developed a lot of strong opinions about BI technology and how analytics should be done. And uh, I left with three other folks and we've uh, started our own consulting company to put some of those ideas in practice
0: okay okay so you say Squarespace it's interesting all of my websites run on Squarespace <laughs> so uh, it's brilliant isn't it it's really really good I mean it's a great design and, and the uh, I think the IT behind it is good as well and so that's kind of interesting as well but what you do Tristan is, is interesting because we've come across each other f- through I suppose the kind of the data engineering kind of conversations and looker and various kind of I suppose new world BI uh, you know development kind of conversations but you actually uh, provide analytics uh, consulting to the actual startups themselves don't you
1: yeah that's that's exactly what we do um the 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 problem that we found that most startups had and and most of our clients at RJ Metrics were startups um they they didn't have a software problem they had a people problem Um, there's just not enough talent out there today that knows how to to operate modern bi technologies um there's there's a very well um there's a very deep enterprise space and you know, IT consultants abound in that u- universe, um, but startups are kind of new to the BI space because the technology didn't exist previously for them to to play with it. It was you know write queries on MySQL or build spreadsheets or nothing. Um, so th- there's we're we're trying to fill this gap of uh, helping startups deploy this new technology.
0: Okay, okay. So yeah, it's a subtle difference there, isn't it? I mean, the work that I'm currently doing at the moment is, is I'm working with a startup to build analytics products that they then offer to their customers. But you're actually looking at the analytics those startups themselves use. And it is interesting, there were three blog posts that you wrote recently, and these are the real kind of reasons I, I wanted to speak to you. There were three very kind of you know, opinionated, which is good kind of blog posts <laughs> that you wrote about the sort of things you do and the problems you're seeing in the market. And the first one was about I suppose what to start up a startup founders guide to analytics. So that was a kind of a we'll go into it in a second. You know there was a good kind of set of steps in there and, and setting the kind of scene for that. And then we had the steps to setting up a modern SaaS-based BI infrastructure, which is very kind of relevant. And then you talked about the kind of workflow itself within kind of, uh, you know, within startups. And I thought all three of them were kind of very good and actually very relevant to stuff that I was working on at the time. So for the first of those posts that you did, so the Startups Founders Guide to Analytics. Okay, so just, summar, I mean, just summarize to the listeners what that was about and, and what was the motivation to write that? And then we'll go into some of the details
1: yeah so i kind of alluded before that um this is all kind of new stuff for for startup folks and so i feel like a lot of the software vendors in the space want you to just kind of dive in and do it um and and to a certain extent that's that's good you know it's good to have a bias or action but um there's there's a lot to know and uh frequently we found folks uh kind of doing things out of order Um, Caring about the wrong thing at the wrong time, like hiring a data scientist before you had any data to analyze um, just because you thought that you needed a data scientist. So uh, this post was really to kind of, you know, track a business from zero to 500 employees and say, what kinds of things should you what software should you buy? What people should you hire and how should you be doing analytics at these different phases?
0: Okay, so there there were, and there was, the, you went in the blog post, you went through the kind of phases in growth, I suppose, really for a startup, and you kind of went through and, and talked about, um, you know, what was appropriate of those phases, really. So let's just kind of start at the beginning. So if you think about the founding stage, really, so this I mean, talking, just to be clear, we're talking largely about, say, e-commerce and, and, and sort of web and digital kind of startups here. But, you know, the founding stage, describe that and describe what is appropriate, what mistakes you see, but what is appropriate in that kind of phase?
1: Sure. Um i I think that a lot of times the early stages um either your problem is data collection you haven't you haven't instrumented anything or it is uh doing too much um there are I, i think that a lot of startup founders are are very data driven naturally like they want to want to know what's going on with their business um and i think that sometimes they uh they Overdo it on analytics too early, which creates this uh, it creates this maintenance burden. Where uh, you know maybe you work a lot on a given analytics setup and it's working great, but your business changes over time. And if you don't have the the manpower to uh, kind of keep that up to date, then the reports will get stale and no one will look at them, and you'll have just wasted a bunch of time.
0: So so things like a data warehouse and, and enterprise B.I. tools and so on would not be appropriate at this stage you're saying
1: I, I don't think so. I think that if you've got fewer than 10 employees, you should install Google Analytics, make sure that you you've done a decent job of that, and then you know do what you can with it.
0: Okay, so actually, Google Analytics is an interesting topic because, again, coming from probably from more of that enterprise world myself, I was, I suppose, I was unaware of how ubiquitous Google Google Analytics is and how much value there is in that as well. I mean, just for people who are listening to this who aren't from the kind of the e-commerce world, just describe a little bit about Google Analytics and why it's so good, really.
1: Gosh. Uh- Google Analytics I mean, it, is the most loved and most hated analytics product in the world. Um, <laughs>
0: it's, it's the Microsoft Access of e-commerce, isn't it really? Yeah. You know, in, in some respects, or so, Excel in a way.
1: For sure. Um, I, I think that um, the, the basic GA implementation is you install the tracking pixel on your website and it tells you you know visitor behavior. Um, You can go deeper than that with universal analytics. You can install it in your mobile application. You can get some some more sophisticated reports. Um, But it is a tool that um, unless you pay for GA premium and get all the data loaded into BigQuery, um, it's, it's a visual tool and you'll run up against the ends of the universe in terms of what kinds of questions you can ask it.
0: Okay, so would you would you at this point expect somebody to the startup to hire somebody to work with analytics at this point, or is it going to be a founder task?
1: I think it's a founder task at this point. Um, maybe you've got a marketing person who's doing a bunch of marketing analytics, but mostly you're, it's your founders get stuck with this.
0: Okay, so next stage then, the sort of very early stage, you put it. I mean, you, you talk in there about what you do at that stage, and you mentioned things like net promoter score. I mean, what, what, what is different about this next stage, and what happens there really?
1: Sure. So your, your team's growing a little bit, and um, you're probably not speaking to each of these people every day. Um, so you need to be focused a little bit more on empowering these people to to do their jobs. And in the future, that's going to take um, the form of a, of a BI stack. It's going to look more like a data warehouse and a BI tool. But for now, I think um, these people have jobs to do and most of them are not gonna know SQL, most of them are not gonna really have any BI skills. Um, so it's, what's important to do is hold them accountable to use the reporting in the tools that they use every day. So if they're a salesperson, they need to build reports in Salesforce. Um, I think a lot of folks export the data and they go to, to, go to town with Excel and I think that's really a terrible idea.
0: Okay, so, so we've got a couple of stages next. You've got early stage and mid-stage in your yeah. blog post. And, and, and I guess this is kind of where it gets interesting. So this is potentially kind of where someone like you might come in, um, I guess. This is also when you start to have people talking about things like, let's redo the analytics in a kind of more structured way and yeah. so on there. You've then got the kind of the, 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 this whole new thing about data uh, engineers as well and so on. When you go into these places, what do you see as common mistakes and how do you sort of make sense of it all and get them in the right direction, really? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the tricks to it all?
1: Sure. What's the tricks to it all? Gosh. Well, you know, what, I, what's the problems what, you
0: say? Do you find sometimes that people are a little bit too clever for their own good when it comes to these sort of things or what?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I think that there are a lot of um, kind of standard principles that you should you should think about when you're when you're doing this stuff. Um, one is write as little code as yourself as you can. Um, there, if, if you want a BI stack today, the reason that you have the ability to even have a BI stack at 25 employees is that there are so many tools that you can just kind of pull off the shelf and all the integrations just kind of work. Um, so there are some founders and, and engineers at, at this stage that have a have a bias to, to build it themselves. Um, I, th- I think that's one of the things that we see people uh, make a big mistake on. Um, so, so I think that, you know, step one here is plugging together various tools and and putting your data stack together. then step two really is hiring. Um, the, in order to kind of get this stuff in a good place, it, it can't just be, you know, 10% of everyone's job. It, there has to be a a person who's pushing this forwards. And this is a thing that I've, um, started thinking a lot about because they're just, um, I really think that hiring is the biggest problem in analytics today, and it it doesn't matter if it is a, a very large enterprise or if it's it's a you know young startup. There's just not enough people who who know how to do this stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a distinction as well. I mean there's a distinction between analytics and things like machine learning and data science and so on but there's also a set of one thing i found doing this kind of work myself is that there are a lot of things that are different going into this world and I think that you need to be kind of open-minded to actually sometimes it does make sense to build things there are areas of kind of this work. there are areas of this world that you've not heard of before for me it was kind of things like e-commerce analytics and so on but there are also kind of eternal truths really as well and I think something I, found, something I found is that you end up end up, end up rediscovering a lot of the things that are these eternal truths doing this kind of work I mean having to make the case for analytics is quite an important thing as well isn't it have you found that when you go into places that actually there is a general lack of understanding of what the value of analytics is for for a company really
1: so we don't have that conversation a lot um it's it's not that uh it's it's not that there's no one in the world who still thinks that but um we just don't find ourselves in those conversations which is is good because I, I feel like you know, Maybe that's a fair conversation to have 10 years ago, but if, if you're still thinking about that today, then you just haven't lived in a world where people are using data well.
0: Or well, perhaps you've done it, but you've had, a, a, I suppose, you, it, a lot, I mean, like you say, very few people within this world have not used analytics, but maybe they've done it and not found it to be actionable or valuable and so on. I mean, have you, have you found sometimes that you do need to kind of go through and establish some of these basic things and think about how... Yeah, you know, even things like basic things like planning and budgeting processes, or, or kind of you know how do we do internal reporting and so on—is is that part of what you do as well?
1: So uh, we're we're very focused on the pure like it, BI part, which is you know count, counting things and adding things. Um, and yeah, totally. The 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 work that we do is an input to financial models that get put together by CFOs and shared with investors. But we're mm. we're generally not making those forecasts.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what about? I mean, again, something I found interesting is is com- I suppose startups will often focus on, like you say, building something that's kind of new, and they'll be using, for example, I don't know, sort of uh, Airflow or stuff like that. And actually, maybe actually a more traditional technology and a more kind of tr- a more kind of I don't know, um, uh, you know, uh, easy to understand out- off the shelf technology. Better. I mean, what do you think? What's your thoughts on that, really?
1: Uh, on Airflow versus.
0: Well, well, in just in general, the fact that a lot of startups will consi- will think about the engineering tasks rather than actually what they're trying to do with this.
1: Got it. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, uh, I, I do agree that it is possible to get lost in the technology kind of forever. Um, but the, and, and when I'm talking about this, this question of hiring at this stage, it really is that person who bridges the gap. It's, It's very possible to find engineers. You know, we could all use more engineers in our companies, but um, they're out there. Um, And there are also plenty of marketers. Um, The the question is, who can you find that can understand how to put a data stack together, but maybe not build it by hand themselves and can understand how a marketing campaign runs even if maybe they don't run them themselves and you can combine those two sets of knowledge to actually do effective marketing analytics and the same for finance or for operating whatever.
0: Okay okay and you say that's a kind of role that also is a separate role to the person who is kind of doing and building the reports and so on I mean do do you think it's important to still have someone out there building reports and so on working with that consultant it's quite hard to do both really isn't it?
1: Um, I think that the, so at, at the early stage, so maybe, um, you know, 40 employees, something like that, you, you hire the person who maybe you call them your head of BI and maybe two or three years down the road, they'll have six people working under them and you'll call them a VP. But for now you just call them your head of BI. That person is usually Um, Maybe they've got an MBA, maybe they've got some Excel skills and some light SQL, and they're gonna pick it up on the job because they're a super smart person. And um, they're gonna build out the basic stuff themselves and Mm. then scale the team over time.
0: Okay, and and so and the and the final stages of this kind of blog post, in particular, where you talked about mid stage and kind of growth, and you talked about um, the importance in the mid stage of SQL data modeling and, and and governance and versioning. I mean, tell us about that, and how do you why is that important, and how do you introduce that into the conversation?
1: Sure. So, um, one of my biggest pet peeves uh, has become copying and pasting. Um, it is j- unbelievable how. Um, analysts are so uh, used to copying and pasting so um, you know you send an Excel document to somebody else they use that as the starting point for their own Excel document they build off of that Um, but if the core definition of a metric changes all of these decentralized analyses are not going to get updated Um, and what ends up happening is that everybody has their own copy of the metrics nobody agrees with each other and it kind of grinds all of this to a halt um, so we, you know, if, if software engineers wrote code like that, literally we wouldn't have any software applications that actually worked. Um, and, and I really think that um, analytics is moving in that direction as well, where you need to think about your analytics applications as scalable pieces of software that... Um, you need SLAs, you need source control, you need to build them modularly, um, and, and copy-paste has to just die.
0: Okay, okay. So so the reason I think we got to know each other was cause, because of Looker, and Looker is an interesting... BI tool take on this kind of world, isn't it? I mean, obviously you've got in there the kind of the the ability to put stuff in GitHub and so on, but you've also got the data modeling side and you've got the kind of SQL side and so on. I mean, you're using Looker currently, aren't you, in some projects? And what's your kind of thoughts on that, really?
1: Yeah, I I like Looker a lot. And I wrote one of the first blog posts after starting Fishtown was um, about how much we we liked Looker as a tool. Yeah,
0: that's what got my attention at the time, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) uh, it, the nice thing for for us is that we can think very structurally about you know what what is your data, what does it look like, how do we model it in a way that um, is going to scale with your business, and then we don't have to make all the reports for you because um, you know business users can get into the Looker front end, and since we've built out that LookML model, um, they can drag and drop and create reports without having to think too much about how to optimize a, a rich of query or anything like that.
0: Okay, and so, this, I mean, this is an area that is your main focus of business. I mean, how, how has it worked out building a business in this area? How, I mean, selling consultancy into, an, into a startup, I've always thought has been quite a hard thing because people there are quite kind of build it themselves and, and smart. How has it gone running a business and starting a business in that space?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, last March I was talking to my wife about um, hey maybe I'm gonna try to start this business and mm. my goal was uh, hey maybe I can pay my own salary um, mm. and I really had no idea what to expect because you know I, I ran uh, several teams at startups and and we mm. had you know at startups sometimes you hire a design consultant sometimes you hire mm. um, like a performance marketing, like an adWords consultant but but really startups aren 't used to hiring consultants um, the, the thing that has worked out really well for us is that we all come from this ecosystem, and so we know all of the people making the technology and um, they all n- none of them want to have services businesses they all want to build software and so uh, we have ended up getting i would say a, a majority of our customers from the ETL tools from the BI tools, from the data warehouse tools.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so so that actually is a quite a nice lead into the second blog post you wrote. So you wrote one about, um, uh, where are we here? I'm just gonna find it. What are the steps and the tools in setting up a modern SaaS-based BI infrastructure? So just tell us a little bit, first of all, about, again, motivation for this, but what what's your kind of general kind of approach or general kind of picture of what you do in this kind of space before we get into the detail?
1: Sure. Um, so, Data is data. Like you can have a data workflow that's set up on top of CSVs in you know Amazon S3, and they can all be processed by Jupyter notebooks. Like there's infinite ways of of having a data uh, pipeline. Um, the the reason that we do things in in the way that we do is because uh, they we need them to be very hands off. We don't want to think about them. Um, And as you get bigger and have more customized needs, maybe you want to do things differently, but um, these are recommendations for for companies who are not trying to have a team of 25 people maintaining this stuff. So we always think of the analytic database as the center of all of your your analytics. Um, Don't don't analyze data in Excel, Don't, don't do random things in Tableau extracts, like step one is always get data into an analytic database. Um, so the question then becomes, how do you get it there? And there's several off-the-shelf ETL tools: FiveTran, Stitch, Aluma. Um, we use Stitch probably the most. Um, and then once once your data is in uh, in your analytic database, then you've got choices to make around uh, what your bi tool is so that's kind of the process the way that we think about it
0: okay so so there's kind of different layers to the stack you talked about and and it's been a recurring theme in in a lot of the blog a lot of the kind of podcasts we've been doing recently but there was so we talked about the database first of all and and you know you in this blog post you talked about using kind of uh, these analytic elastic kind of mpp databases like redshift and bigquery and snowflake i mean what what's your the company I'm at actually went off Redshift into kind of BigQuery. Is, is Redshift still still kind of popular out there? Is it still kind of being used a lot in this startup space?
1: From from what I know, Redshift is still the 800-pound gorilla, um, and not just within startups. Like I think that it is the uh, dominant cloud database for for all sizes right now. Um, I and and it's it's hard to uh, it's it's hard to say that that's bad, like Redshift uh, I think is, what, gosh, it's four years old now. Um, and and I think that the mostly the way that it's showing its age is around um, concurrency. So if you have very differing concurrency and load on your, your warehouse at different points in the day, um, you might, with Redshift, have to really um, make hard choices about who gets to use that resource and when. Um, if you go with Snowflake or if you go with BigQuery, they do a much better job of of solving that problem.
0: Okay, okay. Do you find that the the? I mean, I know obviously not every business you work in is around data and so on. But do you tend to find that the the, the databases they use for internal reporting and analytics are the same as they use for the customer ones? I mean, or, or are they as good? I mean, what what typically is is, is that like really?
1: So, for internal. Um, analytics purposes, I think that um, really the three that you named are are the ones that are in use. Um, we don't do a ton of work with um, customer analytics, uh, you know, em- embedded stuff in applications. Um, but I think that there you do um, have a have a much broader array of of possible options. Um, you throw in Elasticsearch, um, throw in uh, even like hosted services like Keen IO. Um, Keen has a great API for for doing stuff like this. Um, Now you can absolutely spin up a a Redshift instance and uh, use that for embedded analytics and and we've helped folks do that. Um, I, I don't think it's really built for that use case quite as much
0: okay okay so so we've got that i mean i think the, the database is a fairly kind of easy topic really but etl is is a is a recurring topic we've been coming back to in this podcast recently and i think it it's been driven by a lot of the kind of move towards things like uh you know data engineering things like kafka things like you know like apache airflow we talked about earlier on um to my mind etl is the biggest area people can get themselves into a bit of a, a bit of a mess really I- internally on projects i mean what, what what's your take on doing etl within internal kind of startup projects and what's your tools of choice and so on
1: sure yeah and i totally agree with you um there's a lot of topics
0: you, in there to, to unbundle but yeah i mean what's your take on that
1: yeah it, it's so easy to just kind of like get yourself lost in the forest and you're like how did i get here mm. um the so we think about um we think about these the, the three letters etl in two different stages um we like to separate the e and the l from the t um the uh there are a large number of reasons why you might not want to build your pipeline like this, but We load all raw data into the analytic data warehouse as stage one. So um, The the question really becomes uh, How do you write the job that gets the data from where it sits into the warehouse?
0: It's based on the fact that a lot of people in these companies are software engineers. Do, do they write them themselves? Is it, is it a good move to write your code yourself really?
1: so uh, I think that the the way to think about that is uh, what what can you do to get the most for free um, sign, sign up for as little maintenance as possible because inevitably this stuff breaks um, so the the best option is somebody's got an off-the-shelf integration and there's so many products out there now that um, have have off- the-shelf like move data to a data warehouse um, I mentioned it before we use stitch a lot um, the uh, so that that's option number one. Um, Option number two, I think, is there's this emerging platform called Singer that um, Stitch is kind of the sponsor of, but it's a totally open source um, way of doing ETL. Um, And it's essentially a community-oriented approach to this maintenance problem, where um, folks are building uh, API integrations with various data sources and Uh, kind of sharing them with that community so we've we've built about five of those for clients and um, the nice thing about that is they can build it once and then um, the community maintains it Um, so that's that's like your second tier of get it for free and then if you really have to you can you can build the whole thing from scratch
0: okay so and and there's we had we had Maxime Bushman on the call on the podcast recently talking about Apache Airflow for example I mean have you have you had any exposure to that I mean what's your what's your kind of take on that really
1: yeah, Airflow is amazing. Um, it is so incredibly capable, and if you're a data engineer and you have like an unbounded problem set, uh, Airflow I think is the tool that you definitely want to to use. Um, I think that it it actually takes a a while for you to need to get there, um, and obviously at Airbnb they ha- they're one of the most data sophisticated organizations literally in the entire world. So um if, if you're working at a startup you've probably you're probably not Airbnb quite yet um, <laughs> so the the, uh, the the thing that that airflow does so well is it um, gives you access to a dag a directed acyclic graph so um, a way of processing dependencies that kind of has a start and an end and that's generally how um, ETL jobs are constructed um, we think that that DAG concept is something that um, data analysts should be able to take advantage of as well. And so we're actually building an open source tool called DBT Data Build Tool that it allows you to construct these these SQL only data uh, dependency graphs, um, and they get built completely in your um, in your data warehouse. So you don't need a Spark cluster. You don't need you know big EC2 server farm. Um, you really run it from your local machine and. It builds all of these data models in your warehouse.
0: Okay. Okay. So, do you um, do you ever see kind of any of the big ETL tools being used in these companies? Informatics of this world and that sort. Of, I mean, do you ever see the kind of point and click tools, the expensive enterprise uh, ETL tools being used at all?
1: So, I I really have not. Um, no, nor have I, I know that. <laughs> uh, uh, when I was at RJ Metrics, um, we kind of looked into Informatica as as a potential partner, mm. and so that was really my only exposure to it. But it is a it's a it's a beast. It's it's quite a a, a lot of work to set up. Um, yeah, although obviously it's very powerful.
0: Yeah, I mean there was a, there was an interesting uh, blog post that somebody wrote. Try and find the details here. Actually, a gentleman called. Uh, Jeff Magnuson, who wrote a blog post a while ago called Engineers Shouldn't Write ETL, a guide to building a high functioning data science, data science department. And the, the general thrust of it w- was interesting. It was that the worst people to write ETL code are engineers because they're thinkers rather than doers. And the danger is that each kind of engineer will kind of try to kind of, you know, to tr- introduce a new paradigm or, or will kind of be trying to solve problems in a very innovative way. Whereas actually a lot of ETL is just basic stuff. I mean, do you think that's kind of valid or, or, or is that, is that an interesting observation?
1: Totally. And I remember that I, I like read that post. Oh, I think he's he Stitch Fix. Um, yes, I, I love that post. And if, if anyone's listening to this and yeah. you haven't read that blog post, like just pause it and go read that blog post. So,
0: so just just outline it again then for us. What, what was it about? And what was the point of it from your side then really?
1: Um, he was saying, he, he actually focused a lot on the human capital reasons for this. Like um, the, the Engineers, software engineers who are good at their jobs, uh, they do not like to just do really boring stuff, and some, sometimes ETL, writing ETL code is, is rote and boring, and uh, that doesn't lend itself to having a happy, high-functioning team.
0: Mm, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an interesting post really. I thought it was a good counterpoint, really. To well, not, well, a supplementary point to the thing that Maxime talked about. But so, so another area, I mean, I've just come off a call and I was, in, I was recording an inter- podcast interview with Dan McCleary from the BigQuery team, and we were talking about data modelling and, and, I suppose, transferring some of the things we knew from data warehousing into BigQuery. And I recently almost came unstuck with a BigQuery project with, uh, with Joins, for example. I mean, what what's your take on data modelling in this kind of world? And is it different? Is it something you bear in mind? differently or what's your view on this
1: yeah so i i um i have to admit that my experience in the um in the like very large data set size world is only in like post redshift i i never worked with tables of yeah. like, more than 10 million rows in like oracle and MySQL. yeah um, so i kind of uh, maybe maybe got lucky uh, that I didn't have to, to deal with some of these old um, data warehousing techniques. Uh, I you know I've read the books and I'm uh, I think about them like gosh I'm, I'm so glad I didn't have to think <laughs> too hard about that. Yes. Um, the, the so p- people will ask you know what's your take on data modeling and when in client calls and uh, generally our answer is write really clean code. Write code that is readable um, and that other people can maintain really easily. And if you run into performance problems, then maybe you should um, make changes to the way that your code is running to optimize for performance. But right now, we actually think that code readability is so much more important than um, performance optimizations because these platforms you know by and large can can just take the data yeah as long as you don't do obviously stupid things
0: yeah definitely definitely i mean i I don't know if you noticed there's a a company snowflake out there that do a a, obviously a a cloud-based elastic kind of database for data warehousing but it has some of the characteristics of 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 kind of big data as well i mean what's you had any experience with snowflake what's your thoughts on that really
1: yeah so we're just um we, had, we got our first client on Snowflake at uh, the beginning of this year, and we just spun up our second one. Um, we, we like Snowflake a lot, um, and I, I want to kind of tie into that blog post that you just wrote, um, joins in BigQuery. And the, the, the magic of BigQuery is that it, it can split your processing jobs across sometimes thousands of nodes and that's amazing because you can process essentially any data set pretty quickly. Um, the problem though is um, having the necessary data on the same node when you want to join one data set to another and that does make joining uh, less performant. So um, there, there are plenty of ways that you can architect, and you, you did a great job pointing this out, how you architect your BigQuery data to Prevent you from needing to do these joins. Um, I think that that Snowflake is this nice. Um, it's it's elastic, and you have the ability to spin up um, a bunch of compute nodes, but it it's not like thousands of them. So it doesn't have joins. The the, the same problem with with doing joins. Um, in the way that you mentioned mm,
0: yeah excellent yeah it's interesting I mean big i'm sorry snowflake is a, to my mind it's on one hand it's very clever you know in that they've managed to get the best of both worlds but it's also an interesting kind of um it's interesting to rebuild what is essentially a kind of on-premise data warehouse technology in the cloud elastically i mean you you, t- you kind of wondered to yourself given that its primary primary market is 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 kind of data warehousing whether it's what wor- it's been worth it introducing and reintroducing things like constraints and and so on in there i mean they seem to have Kind of built. Mm. They seem to have built a technology that is clever, but you wonder whether it's needed in this new kind of setup. Really, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's yeah.
1: I think that the the with Redshift in 2013 we got a tool that was uh, pretty damn good enough for most use cases, mm. um, and yet we're going to continue to push SQL-based data warehouses further and further over the next decade, and. Mm. I, I think that tools will continue to look more and more like BigQuery and less and less like Redshift. Um, yeah. But at the same time I don't I just don't know that BigQuery is qu- quite there yet. It's it still requires like a little more thinking than yeah. sometimes I'd like.
0: Okay, so, so let's get away from technology here. And, and the last of the blog posts you wrote was, was really good. And it was about, I suppose, the method and process by which which, which startups then do their analytics. And you, I think you talked about it and called it kind of um, the analytics workflow. So again, what was the background to this and, and what were you trying to talk about? And let's go through some of the details.
1: Sure. Um, the, the thing that that we observed while we were at RJ Metrics, and so uh, RJ had uh, about a little over 400 uh, clients at, at the time and uh, we we had that kind of collective knowledge of, of all of these companies and um, you realize that still no one's doing analytics perfectly and sometimes not even like that well and it's not really a tooling problem it is that they're working in particular ways that don't don't end up adding up to make you know, insight that that everybody has access to and is always current and and all of that. So we just kind of asked the question: Well, how should people be producing analytics? What's what's the workflow that they should be using? And that blog post was kind of our answer to that.
0: Okay, and I agree with you. I mean, I'm very conscious. We spent 40 minutes of this conversation talking about different tools and and so on, but it's not it's not how, what you've got is how you use it really, isn't it? And I think something I've observed is 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 analytics in a lot all companies really you know particularly startups and so on is very kind of tactical it's spotty it's not systematic and so on and and it's often in silos and, and, and not collaborative I mean I think the first thing you talked about in this blog post was saying analytics is collaborative I mean what, mm-hmm. what, do, you, what do you mean by that and, and what prompted that and what are you trying to say there
1: so Uh, Let's say that you've got a team of five analysts. The default behavior in this kind of setting is that some manager asks one of the analysts to get a report on something. And that analyst starts from a blank sheet of paper and they they query the raw data from scratch and they build up this this report. And uh, sometimes that will take the form of uh, a 200 plus line long SQL statement. That only they can read, and even they forget how it works a week later um, and so that that becomes very fragile very quickly and so um, the the core insight there is that you should you know collaboratively in this team of five people mm-hmm. build up this ever growing layer of business logic and everybody should be accessing the same library of existing business logic as opposed to starting from scratch every time. That's
0: interesting. So by business logic, do you also mean things like common definitions and metrics?
1: Yeah. So, so the way that we do it, it always takes the form of, um, database tables and views that are materialized in your data warehouse. So you, you build them with, um, so so, let's say you've got an orders table. We are talking about e-commerce before. So you've got an orders table, and you want to get revenue out of that. This mm-hmm. is like the most typical thing ever. But there are some test records and in in there, and you need to filter them out of literally every query you ever write. So instead of querying the orders table directly, make a view on top of that that filters out these test records, and then everybody can totally forget that they even exist. Okay. So that's like a very simple example, but you you can find – uh, opportunities all over the place to do that kind of thing
0: okay so going back to the the conversation I had with, with Maxime uh, about Airflow and, and Superset one of the discussions we had was whether you should try and build out a semantic model like a business model for the business and his argument was that in, in startups it's very hard to get a to get a common definition or agreement on, on metrics and and the, and the structure of data and so on I, I'm not entirely sure on that myself I, I think there is value in doing that I mean what's your take on trying to build some kind of common business model for the business that describes things in a, in a kind of standard way
1: yeah they, so i i listened to that episode and i i heard him say that and i flagged that in my brain too um, the you know i'm not saying have,
0: it's wrong not saying it's wrong but it's an interesting no, kind of point of view isn't
1: it yeah totally and and uh, i i have not worked at a company of the scale of airbnb so hmm. i'm sure that they have their own challenges that they're optimizing for hmm. um, from my perspective if you uh, if you don't have a semantic model, then you're going to really run into kind of organizational challenges around uh, what is true and what is not true. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that that model is kind of the core of, of your analytics at, at a company. And so... Uh, yeah i I guess i I come down on on the opposite side of that,
0: but where should that model be? do you think do you think it should be in a tool yeah. like looker or should it be at a lower level in the in the data I mean where would you put that kind of logic really
1: yeah okay good question so uh we we actually uh, when when we work with clients, we do it in two parts. So we do um, a lot of the business logic at the DBT layer, the, the open source tool that we build. And uh, that ends up as views and tables in the, the data warehouse. Um, and the reason that we do it, there is that when you build uh, models in dbt, any tool that connects to your data warehouse has access to that same library of business logic, business models. Um, So then Looker can connect to those, but we also really like mode analytics for a lot of use cases and and mode can connect to that same shared shared data. You can connect to Jupyter notebooks and run uh, data science jobs. Um, so we try to push things to that layer when it makes sense, but then at the looker level, we like to define, um, the, the metrics, the joins, the calculations, um, so that Looker knows how to um, take that modeled data and turn it into reports, and and uh, users can point and click with it.
0: Okay. What about metadata? I mean, is that? I mean, in in my old days of data warehousing, we had drilled into us that metadata was important, and, and so on there. And it, we don't hear it talked about so explicitly in in this kind of new world. Is it something you ever talk about with customers? And is it something that is a part of your projects you do?
1: Mm, so uh, the uh, the Le- word metadata can mean a lot. Yeah, of I
0: was tests. about to say yeah. So so there's lots of things. I mean, go through what you think it could mean in various cases and where there's value and not value. Gosh, um, that's not that's not a test. Sorry, I mean you know in, in things like data lineage and things like what is the meaning of some te- oh, of, of a me- measure and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, that it, that honestly isn't something we think a no, ton about. No. I think that source control ends up solving for a decent amount of that, because mm. if something changes, you can just look at the blame for it and you can say, okay, well, yeah, that used to be something else. Mm. Um,
0: I, I guess that t- speaks to the kind of velocity of change in these organizations, isn't it? That that is one of the things that is important. I mean, we, we certainly on a project we're working on, we've found a lot of value in having things like data dictionaries that would kind of give us the actual kind of meaning of a, of a column and so on. But beyond that, things like data lineage and anything more than that is never going to be get done because it's just not a priority, really.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, so software developers really like to think about um, how do you produce code that is self-documenting. So, um, you know, y- you've got things like Java docs that can create whole, uh, you know, applications for you that, that create the documentation. Um, the, to, to the extent that we can, we, um, we write code that is readable. And when inevitably some sections of it are, are more complicated, we will document it in line with comments. And then you, kind of, um, you can produce assets like, um, like a visualization of your DAG um, that end up kind of helping folks see the, the bigger picture. So I, I completely agree that um, if, if you're thinking about documentation, that, that's, a, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about quality and numbers adding up? I mean, again, it, it, world, the world is kind of fast moving and we've got kind of like particularly lots of data and lots of things in these environments and so on. How important is the accuracy of data, do you think, on projects and how much kind of credence is it put, how much em- emphasis is put in that on projects that you've seen?
1: Yeah. the um, I think that it is kind of an endemic problem today where, you know, it's you have more data than ever. You have more ability to store it. Um, so people end up capturing a bunch of data and putting it in a data warehouse and then really having no idea, you know, is it, is it clean, is it good, whatever, until you go to use it for analysis and you realize, holy crap, this is not in good shape. Um, so one of the uh, things that, that we do quite a lot and we've made much easier with DBT is data unit testing. So um, essentially defining standard tests on top of the data that's in your warehouse and allowing you to run those in a scheduled um, consistent way, and alerting you if if for some reason uh, a field you're counting on to never be null ends up being null, or a key that's supposed to map to another table for some reason doesn't have a parent record. Um, and it's not it's not super hard to write tests like that. the The hard thing is to make sure that, You've done it in a way that is lightweight and maintainable and people can actually do it because getting people to write tests like this is like, can be really unpleasant, naggy.
0: Okay. Okay. And I noticed that there's a project that you're involved in, the Analyst Collective project. And I think that's bringing together sort of DBT and things you're working on. Again, just maybe explain what that is and and the other components there, analytics and data generator and so on.
1: Yeah. Analyst Collective was actually, um, Kind of the, the precursor to Fishtown Analytics, it was uh, this this core of people were um, thinking about these kinds of problems as we um, as we were seeing the industry evolve at RJ Metrics, and we decided to um, kind of create this the space to build uh, open source code and um, write about the solutions that we we thought. Uh, people should adopt to these problems
0: okay and and so i mean how in, in general how much do you and your company participate in these kind of projects and, and generally the kind of community scene and that sort of thing
1: yeah so uh, the answer to that is uh as much as we humanly possibly can um i i have a real and may, maybe i'm an idealist um and i uh i've uh talked to lloyd tab at looker who uh He was a a big uh, open source person in the early days of open source and uh, has has different views than I do on this. So maybe he knows better than I do. Um, But I really think that data technology is just going to be open source. Like it is uh, your your critical data tech is so important to your uh, organization that it doesn't seem to me to make sense to have it locked up in a, in a closed source environment. So um, the, the, the BI uh, stack is, I think, m- moving further and further towards open source. And um, the, the layer that is still mostly closed source is the actual visualization. Um, and, and Looker and Mode are, are both closed source. And, um, uh, Superset is a, is a great example of an open source alternative. I don't think Superset is quite where, you know, Mode or Looker are, but um, I'm, I'm really excited to see that part of the ecosystem evolve.
0: Okay, so, so just to kind of round things off, really, I mean, you've, you've kind of danced around, obviously, what your company does and, and so on. Just give us a bit of a kind of a, a two-minute thing on what Fishtown Analytics does and, I guess, how you engage with customers and, and how people would contact you if you're interested after hearing this.
1: Sure. So, Fishtown Analytics is an analytics consultancy that serves high-growth venture-funded startups. Um, we'll work with companies even after just a seed round um, and all the way up through um, IPO. So, uh, we'll you know if you're very early, we'll help you set up your data warehouse and uh, connect your data and do some basic reporting. Um, if you are much further along, then we'll help you build custom ETL jobs, and we will uh, help you do you know custom attribution models in, in uh, you know writing custom Spark jobs. Um, so we're, we'll kind of span that entire gap. Um, we work completely in sprints. Every sprint is two weeks, and you can cancel any time. Um, so the, the goal is just to be really agile and easy to work with, um, and we are really optimized to... Um, just kind of getting in and doing the work and and having fun in the process because um, I actually do think a lot of this work is really fun to do right now
0: it's great i mean i love it it's it's great isn't it i mean i think i think certainly looking at looking at your web presence and looking at your articles and so on it comes across as somebody who kind of gets the technology but also gets the kind of the 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 basic ideas behind analytics and also how to run software development projects and i think that's a kind of that's a good combination really isn't it i think you know the the technical knowledge the kind of common sense and actually the the kind of the understanding at very root level of how analytics works
1: I really appreciate that.
0: Yes, good. Excellent. Well, look, it's been great speaking to you. How do people find you on the web and how they, how they contact you?
1: Sure. Uh, just find us at com, And uh, if you fill out that form on that website, I will get it and probably respond to you even if it's 3 a.m.
0: Excellent. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Tristan. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, have a good evening.
1: Thanks. You too.